The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Ben Joseph Stewart is a conscious filmmaker, musician, and mystery guide and life coach. Ben's beautiful films, The Magic Plant, Karmatica, and a host of others, including the Gaia series Psychedelica, is well worth the watch. To find out more about Ben Joseph Stewart, please visit his website, benjosephstewart.com. That's B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H-S-T-E-W-A-R-T.com. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, my man. Doing great out here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so this podcast has been a long time coming. And for anybody that doesn't know who Ben Stewart is, Ben Stewart is the man that created so many important films and also documentaries. List them off and what each one has meant to you. And we'll finish off with your latest and then we can talk about the magic plant as well. Okay, great. Yeah. Actually, what's great about it is I have all three of them right here. So it was about 2007. I started just kind of getting turned on. This was literally a year after I got out of the Air Force. In the Air Force or the military, you're not allowed to have your own opinion, or at least you don't speak it. You represent the military. So as soon as I got out, people started to ask me what my lyrics were about in my band. So I made this film, and it's called Esoteric Agenda. And what it meant to me was really, this was when I first started waking up to the world, authority, things like that aren't what I thought it was. So you would say this one has a lot of conspiracy in it. But by the time I was getting done with it, I had never done a demo reel or anything beforehand. And by the time it was just about done, I realized like, man, I got to put a twist ending in there that's really optimistic. So the last 15 minutes is really about human potential, not doing too much finger pointing at external situations and more looking within for what we can bring to the table. And then people started asking if I could do an entire film that was more uplifting. And so that one was this one. It's called Chimatica. And that one was 
probably my favorite because it had most to do with the entire time that we are gestating inside the womb. It represents a lot of evolution. There's a lot of symbols and what goes on inside of us as to what goes on outside of us in nature as well. And a lot about mass psychology. So that was me really starting to look at, well, what is a human? If we have so much potential, what is a human and how does it fit into this complex thing we call reality? And then in one of my very first talks, which was in Toronto, I started becoming really good friends with this guy named Rob in the Paget family. He lives up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And he quit his job, sold his house, moved out into the country, built an earth ship, which is a very eco-friendly type of house, and gave up all of his documents, like the driver's license, birth certificate, all that kind of stuff to become what some people call a sovereign. But for him, that was removing his artificial person and just becoming human in flesh and blood. And that was this film called Ungrip. Shortly thereafter, I just kind of said, I don't want to do any more films. And I just went on my own way. But very shortly thereafter, I was doing a speaking tour in Europe. I met my current wife. G'day, Bob. We love you. <laughs> I love you, Barb. <laughs> we went to Burning Man together before we got married. And that just really kind of switched on a whole nother side of our life. So we started venturing, having kids. And from that point, Gaia.com just hand-selected me and brought me to Colorado and said, we really want to work with you on a couple projects. So I was in-house producer there for a while. And the very first thing that we worked on was this show called Psychedelica. It's a 14-part series on psychedelics, shamanism, ancient use, all the way up to modern use, and potentially what it's going to look like in the future. By that time, you had seen a couple episodes, and that was when you reached out to me. So then you and I got on traveling around the world, interviewing a bunch of people for this film, The Magic Plant. But in the meantime, when the editor was working on that, the whole COVID thing happened. And within about six weeks, I would say, I just compiled as much footage together using stuff from YouTube. And I just put it together as well as I could with soundtrack and voiceover to kind of show the people like, this is what I think is going on in the world. And this is where I think some of these core things that are happening now are going in the decade to come. And that was Esoteric Agenda 2. Man, first one came out the beginning of 2008. So 12 years later, Esoteric Agenda 2 comes out. Mate, I love it. What a body of work. And I bet you haven't even started yet. (laughs) 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 And I want to just bring everybody up to speed as how Ben and I actually got to know each other was I had a very interesting reintroduction to psychedelics or entheogenic medicine you through toad medicine. And to give everyone sort of a bit of an idea, I hadn't really been drinking alcohol for about six, seven years, been eating very clean, different way of living than I used to live. And I was given an invitation to experience toad medicine. And for anybody that doesn't understand what that means, it comes from a toad in the USA, down to Mexico, I believe, the Sonoran Desert Toad. And in that toad, in its glands, it has something that if you smoke it, you basically have an experience that you can't define. And after that experience, you're in a very unique state of being, one in which I'd never been in before. And the clarity that came through to me was profound. It was nearly like experiencing your higher self at the same time. And in that experience, 
all I knew was you're going to make a film or something about this experience. There was no doubt. There was no hesitation. It just seemed so powerful. I was like, well, how am I going to do that? And I started searching out different psychedelic films and filmmakers and nothing resonated with me until I heard you on a podcast with a fellow called Martin Ball. And Martin was interviewing you on the podcast and what you were speaking about just made so much sense. So then I watched the 14 episodes with my wife called Psychedelica on Gaia. It was the reason that we signed up to Gaia, I believe, as well. And I reached out to you after watching a few of them. And because what I saw on the screen was the most balanced view of what entheogenic or psychedelic plant medicines were to that point in time, I was like, oh, we need to talk. You're the man. <laughs> You're the man that from what I want to experience or what I want to share with the world, you can do it. So we went on this journey together. We had everything planned. And all of a sudden, cannabis came and said, you know what? Maybe a step too far to do a whole film about psychedelics for me and my brand. Why don't we do cannabis? And I remember calling you on the phone a month out before we'd had all these things in place for filming a psychedelic film. I'm like, hey, Ben, I think we need to just do cannabis. And what I love about you, Ben, was I think your words were like, yeah, no worries. Without the Australian, yeah, no worries, in the Ben speak. So I want to talk to you about that. What is it? that you've learnt in your life about changing course, changing direction, listening to intuition? I remember that moment when you hit me up and you explained it briefly. I think all I really needed to hear was that that's what you felt in your heart was the way to go. And to me, I guess plant medicines helped practicing a lot of meditation, Tai Chi, a lot of things that have to do with flowy movements and things like that. I guess it, it really helped me to understand that there are parts of the process of life that you're just, you think you have figured out, but it seems to go in a way that doesn't seem logical to you. But when you say yes, when everything inside you is saying yes, even if you can't figure it out up here, see where it goes. And this was a very interesting time in my life because I had just had twins. So actually, right around the time that I had my twins was when you were saying we should divert this into a cannabis film. And for me, the very first thing I thought of was I was like, this is still a plant medicine as a very intelligent plant. And to me, it kind of made sense. Like, why wouldn't we start on a plant cannabis where the, I already knew by this time we have an entire system called the endocannabinoid system. And this plant is not the only one, but it's the one that dominates nature in cannabinoids, a diversity of cannabinoids and various other things that amplifies the effect of cannabinoids within the body. So I was just thinking, well, this just has to be the plant speaking. And for me, I've always kind of felt like, you know, all these three films, I can't even remember exactly what it was making them. You know, I felt like something was coming through me. It just happened so quickly. And then afterwards, I would look back and I'd be like, that was crazy. That just happened so quickly. And so I kind of felt that, this was the same thing. This was the plant kingdom calling, if I may be so airy-fairy, to basically speak on behalf of the plant kingdom to people who have lost the language of listening to the plants. And that was one thing that we talked about. Maybe it wasn't because we interviewed a few people that didn't end up in the magic plant, but there's something about listening to the plants and they have a signature to them and they can actually communicate back to you so I just felt that this was the plant saying, 
this is right. And that's all the confirmation I needed. Everything else that would have felt like, oh no, I need months and months to plan for a film. That was all just stuff that luckily I never got trained to do filmmaking in the traditional way. So by the time I got to Gaia, they really had to try to like build that infrastructure of this is what a corporate filmmaker does. And I appreciate it a lot more when I'm along for the ride and I'm not controlling every aspect because I know how to bring a film to completion that has a message. But I felt like when you were saying that to me, that it wasn't just you. It was the time was perfect and maybe the plant was speaking up and saying this would be the perfect film to make right now. And it just worked out perfectly. You know, we were already set to go to Vancouver at the time. And we just said, well, let's just keep it as is. And we'll contact as many people, see who we can interview. And we got a ton of interviews and it just bam, bam, bam worked out. You flew to Australia, interviewed more people and everything changed. We had another editor. There was a bunch of shifting and changing, but we kept keeping our eyes on the goal. I want to ask you about the shifting and changing because you and I discussed this many times during this process, especially right in that first month or two, there was such a turbulent time for you personally and it nearly felt like everything we were trying to do for this film was being sabotaged and I want to relate that back to people that are on their personal journey as well, how challenges can arise for people and for you I want to get your take on it and where you were to show how you can overcome any obstacle once you see it for what it is. You're right. The film was rife with challenges, obstacles. I won't get into the specific obstacles, but let's just say from the very first shoot in Vancouver, everything started shifting and changing. Big, big fundamental nuts and bolts started changing for the film. You know, like I said, I had just had twins literally a month before, and it was just me, my wife, and her mother in Colorado. And so when I left to go filming, it was just them keeping it down back at home. So I was having kind of pressure pulling me at all angles. Thank God for Wim Hof breathing and ice baths and plant medicine, because it really teaches you that when things start to feel like you're about to explode, they get so intense, there is a moment where you realize that the pressure is really also your resistance against what the force that's coming at you. So like I said, without getting into all the little details of what were the obstacles, every single time a new obstacle, and it it happened through every process of making this film, every single time something would come up, the team, myself, you, the editor, we would just kind of get together and talk about how crazy it is. But then eventually at the end, there is this word that kept coming up that's trust and trust the process. And there were so many reasons to not even just give up, but so many reasons to just be like, this seems like the world is telling us to stop. When really, that was just the way that I would have been looking at it at the time. So there's that voice deep inside for me that knows this is a yes when everything else around it is saying no, but the right thing is saying yes, it's still hard because it's in the face of massive resistance. But thank God I also have my wife and she was super supportive because I made the decision to leave a salaried job. And then I had twins. And then here's this project that we're embarking on that just has challenge after challenge after challenge. And every time I would come back home, 
And I would lay in bed and I would just shake my head and, and Barb would say, how you doing, baby? And I'm just like, I don't know what the hell's going on right now in life. Everything is confusing me. And she wouldn't try to fix it. She would just hold my hand and say, I know, I know. But you know what? We got this and we know what the right thing to do is. I guess that's the best lesson I can come up with. You know, I'm, I'm trying to come up with, a, I guess, a more concise way of talking about how to face these challenges. But really, at the end of the day, I think there is that little voice that says yes or no. And if you listen to that little voice, then eventually it starts to drown out all the little chatter that becomes, at first, that's bigger. But when you're just listening to the right thing, then all the rest of it just becomes white noise and you can see your path. That's how I kind of felt for me, because life just kept throwing curveballs as far as like, where are we living? What projects are we going to say yes and no to? The kids, we're in 2020 right now. Things are continually changing. I thought 2019 was a crazy year. And I guess trusting the process. We all have that mechanism inside that I feel tells us what we know is right and what we know deep down inside we should be doing with our time. What we came here on earth to do with our time. Everything else was like, no, but this is safer. This is safer. You know where you're going to be in a couple of years if you do this, but none of those things felt right. I remember you and I went to Rhythmia back in November. Let's tell people what Rhythmia is first. Okay. Yeah. So Rhythmia is down in Costa Rica. They're really cool because they're basically taking ancestral Colombian plant medicine. So ayahuasca and yahe ceremony. So that's the ritual container. It's quite old. And so they brought that tradition and then they built modern healing modalities around it, such as they have psychologists and psychiatrists on call in case somebody is having a difficult experience, colonics, a cold plunge, a steam room, breath work, all these different modalities to help us get in touch with our core trauma through plant medicines, through natural mechanisms, and then to integrate them through the breath and through proper diet and stuff like that. So Rhythmia is a healing center that uses these ancestral modalities. And so when we got there, that was with Jack Canfield, there was Panache, there was a couple great people there. What was beautiful about it was I got there and because I had done so many experiences with plant medicine for at least a decade before that, I was like, I got this this is going to be a piece of cake. And man, by the very end of it, it was after a yahe. The difference between ayahuasca and yahe is it's not N-N-dimethyltryptamine, which is the very visual kaleidoscopic molecule that we produce in our own brains. It was 5-MeO-DMT, which is what comes from the Sonoran Desert Toad that you were mentioning, which is also produced in our brain. But 5-MeO-DMT is about four times stronger. So I'm sure you remember that ceremony was quite a bit longer. And I was just wrecked by the end of it. I was crying. I was freaking out about the future. And I remember you came up to me after the conclusion of that ceremony and you just put your hands on my shoulders and said, just trust the process. That kept coming back to me in the months to come. I have to say, uh, thanks for sharing your story too, mate. But especially when we were filming The Magic Plant at the start, you were under so much pressure. You had newborn twins that were having health issues. You were committed to making this film. You had... So many variables, sort of, and obstacles and challenges that came away. And I was sort of a little bit sort of detached from it, from my own challenges with it, because I was watching you. I was like, oh, fuck, this is really interesting. I was witnessing 
how another human being can face some pretty fucking big obstacles. And I don't use that word loosely and everything's relative, but I was watching you going through this. I was like, okay, what have I got to learn from this? That was my experience. Even though we're there to make a film and it will be what it'll be, but I couldn't help but think that our connection was something for me to learn from, to see a man that is facing so many difficulties and for me not to go in there and try to fix it, but also just to observe and just to sort of hold space the best way that I can. And I have to tell you, mate, you, you taught me a lot about inner strength, about resilience, but also when you made the decisions, you know, you made your decisions when you needed to go back to see your family or when you needed to stay on the project and you made them with conviction. It wasn't a wishy-washy answer. It wasn't like you were just going with the flow. It was conviction behind your decisions. And I'd love for you to be able to talk to people about that and explain what that means. Because at the moment, there's so much uncertainty in the world. And for people to make a very deliberate and concise and confident decision may be a little difficult for some people at the moment. So, so talk me through the process because that's what I was in awe of with you. When you decided to go and see your family, that was it. Boom. When you decided to stay and do the work, that was it. You know, I, I knew where you stood based off the conviction of your decision and it wasn't like you could be swayed. That's what I've learned about it. So I want to understand how you can teach that to other people if you can. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. I guess that comes from because I'm trying to think back to those specific moments. The, I remember the first big road trip that we took, I had to cut out early because there was just continuing issues with my twin newborns back at home. Like you said, they had a couple health issues. They're right as rain now. But at the time, one thing that made it easier was I had my wife back at home and she is a tough cookie. So when she tells me, Ben, I really need you back home, then that's it. And I think that Really, the clear conviction that I had was probably more rooted in simply just knowing who I am and knowing what the mission is. And the greater mission, and you also taught me this, you know, one great thing that we had in common was you have children, I have children, but I was just starting out. And so we would have talks and you would just kind of tell me your experiences and that would help me understand you seem like such a family man and that comes first. And everything else is built around that, but that's the core for you. So for me, it was quite easy, especially in company with you, to acknowledge family comes first and then everything else around that, it has to just work. If it's meant to work, it has to just work. So I think that's where the conviction came from because at those moments, I just had to get real clear with myself, what was I put on this earth to do? And if you have children, and they're still in that very young, impressionable phase, the work is there. As much as I loved traveling around, filming and stuff like that, I knew that as long as my wife was doing all right, then the kids were fine. But if my wife's not doing all right, then okay, that's when I'm needed. So I think that's where the conviction came. And for people today in this world, I think as far as it is kind of a crazy world, but I don't know. I think the more that we stick to really looking within for the answers and not being too entirely swayed by all the stuff that most people are getting their news from social media these days. And I get into in some of my other films, the proliferation of fake news, fake memes, fake media, even intentionally fake just to track how far fake news makes it. 
So I really kind of think that for this year, if we want to have conviction, it has to be rooted in something that we know this is our job on planet Earth to do. Really, the way to get in touch with that are these modalities. Plant medicine can get you more in touch with yourself and can bring a little bit more clarity. I think it's when we're on a hamster wheel or when we're in urgency mode trying to make anything happen because we're afraid that nothing's happening. These are the times where we can get lost in in the weeds. But when it comes down to it, I know where my gifts lie. I know what I have to offer. I know how I can help people. So I really know where my value is. And I think as long as you can serve value to your community, whether that's online or whether that's with your hands in your community, serving value will never go out of style. No matter what economic system comes on the heels of whatever we have today, what we produce, our value will always be worth it. So to me, I guess as far as conviction, that's where my conviction comes from is just all my inner work. I can't say any of the outer work because I still play guitar, but I'm not a musician full-time anymore. I still make films and that's where life threw me, but every moment is new. So it's just kind of, I get in touch with the heart center. And I would say that's the closest thing to a parent that's always there saying, you know what's right. You know that that's not you. You know how you're acting right now. And it's that parent that really the Jiminy Cricket that just whispers in your ear. So I would say that's where most people's conviction could come from. If you're way too crazy up in your head all the time, you'll probably have a lack of clarity. You'll probably have a lot more nervous system issues, a lot more feeling of urgency that you need to get something done. The more clarity in the mind and just allow it to listen to the heart, I think that's where conviction will be very easy, especially in 2020. What I want to discuss with you now is I asked this question from a guest earlier this year. I had Luke's story on the podcast and Luke is, I guess somebody like myself and like yourself likes to ask questions and explore life to the fullest. And I asked him this one question. I said, after all the interviews you've done, all the people that you've met in this space of curiosity and wanting to understand, as you said, what it means to be human, is it more complicated for you now or more simple? And whichever one that is for you, what do you believe are the foundational principles that we could focus on for our evolution of this species? So my question is, is life more simple for you now, more complicated because you have so much more information and you've shared so much more information? How do you decipher that and condense it down to be the core principles for moving forward and evolving? I don't think information confuses me anymore. I put it in two different ways. There's rain, which is information, and then there's like a basin which can gather rain and then it informs it. The rain turns into the form of whatever's gathering it. And so for me, I gather a lot of information. It's always raining every day. I'm always researching. I got books, DVDs, YouTube videos. I guess what it is, is I use a lot of whiteboards to just draw out my thoughts. And that's called cognitive, man, I'm forgetting what it's called. It's basically getting your mind out in front of you, writing it down. What some people would call journaling. Yeah. Journaling on whiteboards. I like doing it because sometimes it turns into drawings and stuff like that. Life gets easier for me, especially when there's issues like when you were watching me go through all those challenges and everything like that. It was still stressful, but the decisions 
became easier. And it's truly, once I had children, everything became a lot simpler because I know why I'm here. To be perfectly honest, it might sound strange, but so my films, they get a lot more traffic and there's a lot more purchasing of the films in times where it seems like the world is in unrest. So when a bunch of other people are in times of unrest, they're coming to me with questions like, how do I sort through this? What am I supposed to do? I'm no guru. So all I really do is I bring it all back down to the core philosophies that I've learned through Taoism, through meditation, alchemy, all the esoteric stuff. And then even just stuff that my grandfather used to tell me or like wise words that my father told me that have never run out of style. I kind of feel that, you know, there's a proliferation of so much information out there. The way I try to be, if you're kind of in touch with your core principles, I guess that's the thing. When you have core principles and you just know it, you don't have to question them, then the more other information comes in, it either strengthens it or it just fits into the fold somehow. And really like Taoism, I try to, and Buddhism, I try to see obstacles as beautiful lessons in disguise. And no matter what, even if I'm in the middle of some of my greatest obstacles, as long as one time a day I can slow down and meditate on exactly what the obstacle is, I don't run from it, I stare straight into the belly of it, then it starts to reveal itself that, you know, this is the pressure that creates the diamonds. For me, I guess like the greatest lessons that I've learned are, especially when it comes to so much information out there, is to deviate from that, give yourself a break from that. And it's the same with just constantly being on our devices. If you're constantly on your devices and that's the way that your work is, then it's probably really beneficial to deviate from that and have time where you're just in nature. You're not around all that. You're touching the earth with your hands, with your feet. You're just letting the sun hit you. I do a lot of movement training. I do a lot of exercising, dynamic movement, breath work, ice baths. And these are things, you know, I could break it down to the science of it, like hormesis or hormetic stress. You're just causing environmental stressors to strengthen the body, like working out, it breaks your body down. But the thing that happens afterwards, if you let your body recover, is you get built back up with more fortitude. And that's the same thing with anything that we give ourselves stressors and we learn how to bounce back from that and we can become a little bit more resilient. So for me, that's distilling it down to those core elements of how we can handle so much confusion and so much information and such a changing world where we feel like, like in a plant medicine ceremony, where you feel like I'm losing touch of control, I don't know what's real anymore. There's that moment where you can just surrender to it and say, well, let's see where this goes. You can breathe into it. You can soften yourself. It may not instantly get less scary, but you're right there. You're practicing. You're not just going completely limp, but I'm sure as a surfer, you've had it where the wave has knocked you under and you don't tense up, right? You, you let it go, but you're also very vigilant for your first opportunity to get back into physical mode so you can get your head above water. So I kind of feel that's what life is. And that's why it seems to be getting easier because really, when I say I was incarnated on this planet to do something, it's very hard for me to put that into words because I'll know it when I feel it. Tomorrow, it might be slightly different. And so it's really about staying present. If I may be so cliche with Eckhart Tolle, you know, it's being in the here, 
being in the now and acknowledging that as much as today might look like yesterday, there's subtle differences. And by tuning into those subtle differences, you can tell when some other wave is on the rise. So as a parent, I'm also very tuned into when I'm being triggered and when I'm about to blow up. And I'm like, okay, this is me. That's that rise. So I implement a little, what do you call that? An interrupt to that pattern. And I start breathing. And then usually something beautiful comes in its place. So that's probably the best advice I could give. Breathe, number one. Deviate from the things that you're pretty sure are causing your stress. Give yourself breaks from them. And dare I say, at, at the very least, if you can protect your sleep quarters and really, really value sleep, then whatever you deal with during the day, any kind of stressor, physical, physiological, mental, emotional, spiritual, a good night's sleep is one of the best things anybody can do for themselves these days. <laughs> My family and I have been using beautiful, high-quality essential oils for the last 20 years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I to build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at PeteHLC.com backslash Pete. That's PeteHLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective, dot com backslash Pete. I'm with you on that, brother. I'm so with you on that. I think sleeping is, it's interesting when you're a kid or a teenager, the last thing you want to stay up late. I want to stay up late like the adults. I tell you what, these days it's like, how early can I go to sleep? <laughs> the last week, my wife and I, Nick, have been falling asleep at like 8 o'clock, 8.30 of the night time. It's like, oh, how beautiful is that? How amazing is that to actually get into that rhythm and appreciate it and not feel like you're missing out on more information coming in? Because really, in that sleep cycle, you're going to go on some pretty wild journeys in that space. Talk to me about the sleep space because I haven't had a chat to you about that. And what have you learned about dreaming? You hit the nail on the head. It's a time for rehabilitation. It's the time for recharging. Take us through a little bit of the science if you can and what you've learned about the sleep cycle. I first started getting into it with Carl Jung. He had a, it was an audio tape that I got. It was probably also a book, but it was all about dream interpretation but in that, it wasn't just interpreting like if a duck shows up in your dream, it means this. It was really getting into showing you that what he believed sleep was, was especially dreaming, was that your subconscious and the things that typically don't come up above the water, like the, there's the tip of the iceberg, the stuff we're aware of, and then all the subconscious programs and things that we repress and urges and things like that, that there's a balancing act in the dream state. And the Aboriginals of Australia, I've spent a little bit of time with them and they actually have this space called dreaming, dream time. And the interesting thing about that is they're talking about a space that you can also access during waking consciousness. And it's always there. And it's actually primary to this reality. So as far as like the science of it, your body is absolutely going through so many biochemical processes of clearing out the residue from the byproducts of whatever the previous day did to you. Because breathing, sweating, all those kinds of things, that's a way of detoxing. But you also kind of, 
need to get right and bring your body back into or bring your mind into equilibrium. I think that's what dreaming truly is. And the, the Jungian way of looking at it is really that's just everything in your body seeks homeostasis. Even if there's external stressors coming, uh, I think it was Robert Sapolsky who was talking about the exact mechanisms of how when there's an external stress or even an internal environmental stress, your DNA will start to augment its code so it'll mutate a little bit. And it seems kind of random, but the point is like it mutates to see if there's a way that it can actually adapt to whatever the stressor is, if the stressor is going to be there for a while. So let's just throw it out there. Let's say if there's a proliferation of Wi-Fi or non-ionizing radiation out there, your body is experiencing that. I think the tone around 5G and things has become, we're, we're just being microwaved. It needs to stop. I agree in many ways, but I also love speaking about what are the solutions in the interim while we're still being bombarded by all of this. And I don't freak out about it because it's not outside of my wheelhouse. I see so many, actually this entire whiteboard is filled with specifically things that you can eat, supplements you can take, things you can do for sleeping, and different things you can do just for non-ionizing radiation, which is what comes from cell phones, as opposed to a power plant, which would have ionizing radiation. So my point behind that is when you stress the body, there's a lot of things that have to go on in the body to bring it back into homeostasis. And I think that the dream state specifically, but sleep in general, is your eight to nine hours a day. Hopefully, if you're doing it right, you're getting eight to nine hours a day of solid sleep. And that takes care of everything. I believe your psychological, your physiological, your molecular, spiritual, probably all the way down to the quantum phenomena that's happening within us and around us. It's allowing that to come back into balance so we can face another day. And really, I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I know I'm going to live quite a bit. So I take it like one step at a time, one day at a time. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but if I get a good night's sleep, I know I'll be able to face that challenge, whatever it might be. Mm, I love it. One of the things I notice about you and your information that you love to share, Ben, especially lately, well, I think you've been doing it for quite some time, is how beautiful nature is. How these patterns that we may not be aware of, consciously aware, subconsciously we probably are, but the awareness that we need to bring, or maybe need isn't the right, right word, but... Let's talk about your connection to nature and what it is with behind your intention of engaging with people. I'm just using social media as an example here. What is it that you were wanting your fellow human beings to discover about nature? Wow. You're right that there's so much beauty in nature that it's not just beauty. It's also it's symbolic of our inner nature. I really do feel that there's nothing that's disconnected and there's nothing in our reality that doesn't have a lesson for us. The ancient Chinese would stare at a lotus blossom and see the perfection even in if there was a deformation on it, right? It says something. It speaks to you. And at the end of the day, none of us were given a memo from God telling us exactly what life means, why we're here, or that we're owed anything. 
So the fact that I get to wake up day by day and I get to still see my children, that's a blessing because I don't know if I'm going to have a tomorrow. You just never really know. And so the beauty within nature, especially on Instagram when I'm posting these things, is I try to show that even our physical body, we get so enamored with our devices and things that do flashy things that we turn what we would call mundane into like, oh yeah, but that was so last year. You know, it's all about the devices now. So you've probably seen some of the things that I've posted as far as the sphenoid bone in the skull, the most complex bone in the human body, and it houses the pituitary and pineal complex. While I'm talking, I'm resonating that right there. It's shaped like a bat. It flaps its wings like a bat. Open mouth singing, it really vibrates. It might alter neurotransmitters in the brain, potentially secreting more DMT in the brain. There's just so many things about the human body that we don't know what its potential is. And for years and years, we've had the establishment telling us, you can't control your autonomic nervous system. That's why it's called autonomic. Well, then Wim Hof comes along and says, I just do (sighs) for about two minutes and then I hold my breath and then bam, with proper visualization, I can control many of these autonomic things like blood pressure, basically either the temperature of your body, all the way down to just getting the molecular things moving and getting your fascia to calm down from breathing, right? Two minutes of holding your hands above your head, just two minutes of this changes your entire chemistry, lowers your cortisol, which is the stress hormone, raises your testosterone, which that combination of lowering that and raising that causes for us to feel that we can take up our space. We're more allowed to say what we want to say, express ourselves how we want to express ourselves. We feel comfortable in our skin from doing this for two minutes. Now call that a hack, like a biohack, but there's so many other things that this beautiful piece of architecture, which is just a a fractal of nature, can teach us about the world. And many of us, we just treat it like an amusement park and we don't pay attention to the small signs, like drinking way too much caffeine, we may not recognize the signs until one day we're out of it and we get that migraine headache. But also stepping out into nature, putting your hands in the dirt and realizing that it is us, you know, inside of us below our diaphragm, water and earth sit, right? And above that, fire, like the sun and the air, it sits there. We are an entire mechanism that reflects the outside world, I'm sure of it. And I feel it. So in all of my you know, social media and Instagram posts and stuff like that, I just want to keep bringing people back to you are the answer, right? We have so many people telling us that there's a trick or there's a silver bullet, a magic pill, if you will, which is what I really loved about your work is showing that there is no obstacle. There is no problem outside of us that is bigger than our potential. And I think the illusion it keeps knocking us down to making us feel like we need to outsource our protection, outsource our health, outsource all these things because I'm not big or strong enough to take care of it. I need the outside world to do it. When really everything that I've learned from you and your incredible podcast is as long as you inform yourself, we have the power and we can overcome all these challenges. And then at the end of the day, the bigger challenges We need community. We need to learn relationships, but that's still an inner journey. We need to learn why we need to connect with 
our tribe outside of us. And that's nature too. That's a reflection of nature. So nature is beautiful. It has all the lessons for us. I would like to see us get back to it. Mm, and we are doing that one step at a time, I, I believe. But at the same time, it seems that some of the population are stepping away from it and maybe fearful of it. So what I loved about when working together with you on the magic plant is that I didn't want it to be a puff piece on cannabis because I'd met a lot of people and heard these stories about this plant that was miraculous. And from my understanding, and this is the same thing with the magic pill when we did it, I didn't want it to be, oh, if you just change your diet, all your, all your diseases will go away because it doesn't work like that. Just because cannabis can be used as a healing modality doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody because somebody might be in a job that they hate. All the cannabis in the world may not fix that dis-ease of going somewhere every day and not being heard, appreciated, or even enjoying the process of that. So that cannabis that might help anxiety or depression may also then become a crutch. And I thank you for that because you were very open to making sure that we didn't say that cannabis is the magic plant, even though it has magical properties. What was the take-home message for you after making this film with our team? that you learned something new about cannabis. What was that? Because you've had a relationship with it for, for decades, no doubt. And I haven't asked you this question. What, what was the inner message that you got after this whole journey about this one plant? Wow. I think it's pretty clear. I knew all the little details that we learned. Even when going to the doctors, I'd heard these tiny little things about the endocannabinoid system, about how incredible the plant is. I really think... The beautiful part about filmmaking is to get a point across, you go out and you get a wide, diverse, but very professional and hands-on group of people telling you what they love about cannabis. And these are doctors who recommend it, people who cultivate it, everything about this plant. I think what was driven home to me was the fact that this plant really is, it's unlike a lot of plants. And it does, I expected to find out more that there were problems with this plant. I expected to find out more about the dangers of this plant. And there are some, and I'm glad we covered those dangers where like you can do too much of it and you can kind of check out of life. And sometimes I think it was Dr. Dustin Sulak who said it can become a crutch. If you're just doing it every day, it might be tapering off the pain or the signals of an illness or a chronic thing that you're doing to yourself. And you may not never get those signals from your body that something's going on within it. It can drown that out, but the plant will also probably just stop working at a certain point or start causing anxiety. So something will pop up in that respect. And I think that there's so much this plant can do. It can remediate the soil you can grow it in a couple of months as opposed to 20 years for trees to harvest it for wood pulp, for paper, for those types of materials. There's so much that it can work with. I was even thinking today when Bubble Man was telling you that the seeds, the hemp seeds, the only other thing that has the omega fatty acids in that ratio and also the essential amino acids that it carries is breast milk which is another beautiful mystery of nature that we 
who are women, I should say, make the food for their children that are extremely important for neural development and much of our development and also just that connection. And there's something that this plant kind of feels like it was built for us. There's a beautiful young lady, Morgan, in the film who says it's quite clear that this plant is here for us. Whether it was made for us, it really is. And then you can expand that out and say that all of nature is like that. And this is just a really incredible plant, which is why, like you said, why we use that term, the magic plant, but it's really more of a question than anything. And so I would say the biggest take home that I got from the film was the fact that there could potentially be a plant that fits so perfectly with our system, is so safe. It really is, at least physiologically, it's, it's quite safe. And it's one of the, if not the oldest cultivated plant. It turned into the rope that was used for carrying things on people's backs and sails to get us across large bodies of water to connect with other groups of civilization. This is incredible. This plant is like, I'm trying to think about it, but, but it's like a background character that connects all the other things in our life. As we, humanity, we move on with life, this plant has been there and been very, very instrumental. And it's only been the past couple decades, maybe from the Nixon era on, that there was just this really dark cloud that hung over it. So that we are just on the other side of that heavy storm over cannabis I think was probably the most incredible thing. We're in a new era of what's happening with the plant cannabis. It's really interesting. And I see it nearly like a Swiss army knife and you can hurt yourself with the knife, but you could also use it as a tool. And I think that's something that people need to really, really consider when they're using any type of, any type of medicine, whether it's pharmaceutical or natural based. And when we were together filming, what I noticed about you, and I'd never seen anybody else do this, was that after work, you would roll a joint for yourself and you would put it to your forehead and say a little prayer before you inhaled. And we ended up doing that in the film because I was questioning, should I or should I not partake smoking cannabis or ingesting cannabis on the film? And it wasn't until we were in Colorado in a sacred setting with Daniel McQueen that I thought, yeah, let's do it here because this feels right. It's sacred. It's intentional. So talk to me about you paying respect to cannabis when you have that relationship, when you smoke a joint, for instance. Right. Yeah. Thank you for asking that because really cannabis is very easy to just become that daily mindless thing that we do. I see you're drinking tea. I remember you really impressed me with how you bring a lot of presence to another plant medicine, which is tea. It may not be as, you know, it's not psychoactive and psychedelic, but when you meet it halfway, I guess, and you build a ceremony around it, all that really is is you're paying more attention to it with sacred reverence, right? And I kind of feel like that's become unhip these days. And for the most part, when you see most of cannabis media, you see the funny stuff, the Cheech and Chong stuff, the stuff that doesn't really show you this is a sacrament that goes way, way, way back. And it's a medicine that heals some pretty chronic and deeply rooted health issues. 
So when I have that plant at the end of a, a shoot, the entire time I'm rolling it and I'm picking it a piece, I don't use one of those grinders that people use. I pick it apart with my fingers and the entire time it's getting on me, I'm getting on it, I'm breaking it apart. I'm also in ceremony at that point as I'm rolling it up, I am. And that's just like, I don't, you know, to be perfectly honest, I didn't even intentionally make that part of a ritual. It's just something that I think I did one time and it stuck and I kept doing because I feel that I have that endocannabinoid system. It's cannabis. It has the cannabinoids. And, you know, the more that I take that moment and I can bring my conscious awareness and my respect and reverence to the act, then it's building a set and setting in a ceremonial container around it. And even if I don't end up smoking, because I've done it before where like I've had it, I've rolled it. And then I just feel actually one time when I touched it to my heart, it was just like, you don't feel like this right now. You're just doing it out of habit. And that was kind of a shock to me because I thought I was doing it with so much reverence and I was going to do it and everything. And then it just told me no. And I was like, okay. So I put it down. This was just a couple of weeks ago, actually. And I just went and I played with my kids and I realized like, that's what I should have been doing, you know, like, you know, out moving around, crawling on the ground, like my children. We can do that more with everything. Before we eat, you can just, you don't have to do any specific prayer, but you just sit down and you appreciate the fact that you have food on your plate. And there's so many people in this world that don't, you know, I have this beautiful, magical herb that I'm about to ingest. It's going to take me on a journey. And I want to make sure that I pay attention to that journey. Because it's like, making a trek to a guru and sitting down and saying, I really want to understand the meaning of life. And the guru says, well, and just as he starts talking, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And I'm on my phone and I'm, I'm distracted with something else with life, right? When you're doing something like a plant medicine, especially something that's going to alter your mind, you can highly amplify what you're looking to get out of it. If you're just looking to relax, Doing the ceremony beforehand can enhance that. If you're looking for clarity or if you want to ask questions to it, I believe that all you're really doing is asking the higher chambers of your own intelligence and the plant hears you and allows you to amplify and connect with what it is you're trying to connect with. And I fully believe that even hands-on healing, if I were to just come up with a form of hands-on healing and I fully believed it. And then I taught it to a bunch of people and they fully believed it. In a couple hundred years, it would start working. And I say that because I believe that our intelligence, we have the ability to find connections and let's say drill out connections that might not have been there before. So I just come up with my own ceremony before smoking a joint or vaporizing. And usually that it's just the right thing to do. It calms me down. It puts my nervous system in a different state. I guarantee you, if you were to measure me, you would find physiological and biological effects to that, to that kind of just centering myself before partaking. So yeah, I love bringing ritual to as much as I can in life. Thank you for sharing, brother. Last question. And we have a new platform, which is screening some of your films. And I want to talk to you very briefly about your latest one, Esoteric Agenda 2. After watching it myself with my wife, actually, Nick, and, and thank you, Nick, for teaching me about the tea ceremony also that you referred to before. What I loved about your film, I mean, it's a mouthful. It's a headful. It's a lot to take in. 
but then you offer solutions at the end. And that's what I love about you is it's, it's nearly like you show the darkness, but you show the light and it's a choice. So can you sort of give us the definition or the intention behind this film for 2020 with what's going on the, with the coronavirus? Because you have a little bit of a different take on it and then the solutions. Yeah, beautiful. The reason why I like making films that expose the darkness and then bring light in at the end, like all the other films, I've never made a film or any piece of art that is just fully exposing the dark because that's a conspiracy film. And as much as what I touch on gets thrown into that big label, really that's just an easy label for the masses to throw stuff under that they're too afraid to question seriously. And they only want one or two understood media outlets to tell them what's going on and how to be safe. So in times like this, I get a lot of people asking me, what do I do? Should I bug out into the mountains and stuff like that? So I try to make pieces of film that also have soundtrack in ways that can, you know, tug at your emotional heartstrings as you're watching it. So it's not just all heady. Because you're right, it is, it's a mouthful, it's a headful, it's a lot of information to people that may not be fully prepared for this kind of thing. But I do it because all of my films, I try to mimic somewhat of a plant medicine ceremony. Because in a lot of plant medicine ceremonies, if you've done enough of them, you're going to see some darkness. Some darkness is going to arise. Some things that you don't want to face are going to start facing you. And as much as that's a difficult thing to deal with, by the end of it, if you're given solutions or by the end of a, a plant medicine ceremony, when you realize that oh, it's love or like, oh man, that's, it's the way I'm acting or speaking or behaving, then really it's pointing the finger back here and what can I do about it? This is the world and it seems crazy, but I don't want to disengage from it because I want to be knowledgeable and then I also, I don't want to freak out and have a sense of urgency. So I want to be level-headed about it and not freak out like the sky is falling every time a piece of legislation passes that we don't like. So there has to be that balance. And this film, I go through all of it. I talk about some of the issues with the numbers around coronavirus, just the political maneuvering behind it and some of the words that are being chosen, especially here in the United States, to speak about it. There's a lot of cleverly omitted pieces of information that I tried to show in that film. Like, what about Professor Charles Lieber? That's a big piece of information to me. And if your audience doesn't know about it, that's basically a professor and two of his students that were working well uh, in the Wuhan laboratory, but also I think that they were students because he was either in San Francisco or LA, a professor. And there was this whole thing where one of his students was carrying brown vials of liquid outside of the country right at the start of this. And they both had ties to that level four laboratory in Wuhan, China, which is right next to the meat market. So I was just like, this is way too many coincidences. But the biggest thing about it, I'm not even going to tell you what to think about it. Just think about the fact that the media is not covering it. They just omitted that entire section of it. So I wanted people to think about like, this is how information gets into your head. And so then I talked about, okay, there's this guy, Thomas Cowan, who's talking about a connection between 5G, which is the new up and coming telecommunications platform 
that all your cell phones and devices and internet of things, your pill bottles, diapers, all the way to your refrigerator are going to be communicating with themselves and coronavirus. And some people are drawing correlations there. So I explored that. And then I also started exploring big data. Like, listen, big data is bigger than big oil right now. Let's just start taking a look at like what all that data is being used for. What is 5G? What does it mean in other countries? And what does it mean that we're racing into it with very little understanding of the safety guidelines? And Dr. Martin Paul says the safety guidelines, they don't predict biological effects whatsoever. So basically what I'm trying to show in the film is we're undergoing a massive social experiment. And it's a biological experiment. And it's also a mental experiment with social media. So by the end of it, if the audience wasn't already like, just like, oh my God, what do we do about all this? What I decided was now let's start remembering who we are. We weren't put here to cower or to be like an ostrich and put our heads in the sand. What do we like about heroes in movies? It's one soldier against a thousand, but it's his duty and he stands up and he does his duty. Well, I'm not asking people to lay down their lives. I'm asking people to face the challenges of everyday life of a world that is developing in these directions that I've kind of laid out in the film. So really the solutions at the end, I didn't even get into very specific ones. I talked about ice baths and breathing and Wim Hof breathing and things that are really good for your body and can probably counteract a lot of the health issues that we're dealing with. But the most part is I said, how do we use exactly what we're fearful of, 5G, telecommunications infrastructure, instead of making it the devil, right, and making it our enemy, how do we flip it on its head and look at the world not as everything's going wrong? And I don't name it because I don't want to make it Ben's solution for the world. I really think that if we were to drop down out of our, I don't want to look at the problem and I'm fearful of what's going on, can you just tell me what to do next outside world? Please just tell me how to behave. I'm tired of that. And what I'm really tired of is pretending like all these problems are bigger than us because we see it on our phone and it's telling us, you know, oh man, out of 50 things I'm getting on Instagram, only one of them seems hopeful anymore. Well, I think that's the time where we need to start looking at what can we do to start changing the narrative? And to me, I believe it starts with the narrative. If you change the narrative in people's heads, that's what they're going to start believing. I seriously believe that media, even mainstream media, it's not about getting you to believe specific tidbits of information. It's framing the conversation in our head. It's omitting all of this saying, well, that's kooky. We don't even touch that. This over here is to this or to that. We don't touch that. Here's your conversation. If anyone challenges you, then here's your rebuttal. And that's really just like, that's as simple as a TV dinner. It's already made for you. It's pre-digested thinking. Take the human out of it. You don't need to critical think. We'll do it for you. This is what I'm addressing in the movie is like, let's be human again. Let's remember that we were put here to face the obstacles in front of us. And that's actually the beauty. That's not our curse. It's the beauty and the blessing of life. <laughs> we started with obstacles and we finished with obstacles and how to face them. So, Ben, I love you, brother. Thank you so much for being my friend, for being my brother, and for being so uniquely you 
that you inspire not only myself but many others with your tireless work. And obviously, you're an amazing father and husband, and I can't wait for our next adventure. Love you. Love you too. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed their health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows, and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.